Welcome to this episode of the Education Revolution Podcast. In this episode, Jerry interviews Whitney Tilson. Tilson is one of the founders of Democrats for Education Reform and serves on the board of the Knowledge is Power program, KIPP. Jerry and Whitney talk about Trump's possible education reforms, pros and cons of charter schools, and go in-depth about KIPP charter schools in particular. Okay, we're, we're very pleased to have Whitney Tilson today for this podcast, and he has a very interesting point of view that I'm very curious to hear about. Uh, you are, are you the founder or one of the founders for Democrats for Education Reform? Yes, I'm one of the founders and, uh, and a board member currently. We founded it, I don't know, almost 10 years ago, I guess. Okay, and can you explain what that uh, does? Um, it's a political advocacy group primarily. It's, you know, it's got numerous legal permutations and entities, you know, 501c3, 501c4, um, a PAC, various federal and state PACs. Um, but uh, in one sentence, uh, its objective was and is, is to break the stranglehold of the teachers unions on the Democratic Party. Um, and uh, so that the Democratic Party can rightly assume its place as a primary advocate for the best interests of children. Right. So, so Democrats for Education Reform has a kind of an interesting place in the whole spectrum of, of reforms. Uh, you've got uh, teachers unions on one end that don't want to see charter schools and um, that, that may not consider this in their best interest, what, the work you do. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got uh, a newly elected president who, what do you think he would think of the stuff that you do? Um, did you say she? You mean he? He. <laughs> he. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I misheard you because... Uh, no, it's not uh, a she. I, 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 as, far, as far as I know, Donald Trump is not a she. But <laughs> Yeah, I know. I thought I heard you say she, and I was like, oh my gosh, I wish. I wish. I thought <laughs> so hard. Yeah. Um, and it's important to underscore here uh, that I'm... I've been a Democrat, lifelong Democrat. My parents met and married in the Peace Corps 54 years ago. Uh, uh, you know, I've got great uh, left-wing credentials. Um, so my the work I do in education reform is not uh, what is often, you know, those opposed to the teachers' unions are, in my opinion, you know, just union busting, uh, et cetera. And I'm actually in favor of uh, strong unions, and, and I'm a Democrat. Um, and, uh, so I fought very, very hard, uh, to elect Hillary Clinton, even though I knew that she, uh, that she has had real ties and real loyalties to the teachers unions because, you know, I'm more than a single issue person. Um, um, so, so I'm, uh. I am despondent at the election outcome, um, but you know I'm 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 also a pragmatist, and uh, it's the reality. And he's going to be the president for hopefully only the next four years, um, and we're going to have to deal with that. And so, you know, when life deals you lemons, try to make lemonade, I guess. And so, in the case of education reform. Boy, it's, I mean, uh, what little Donald Trump has said um, has sort of mostly towed the sort of Republican line about choice and vouchers, which I have mixed feelings about, um, is generally supportive of charter schools, uh, high-quality charter schools, I think, which I'm very supportive of. Uh, but, you know, it's honestly his 
his views change so much and are so ill-informed. Um, you know, this is a guy who, by his own admission, has never read a book in his life, or at least, you know, since he graduated from school uh, in the past 50 years. He's never read a book. Wow. Um, so, so uh, it's, it's um, I think, uh, it, best case scenario, he appoints, uh, a, a real reform-oriented person who really does know the the area. Um, you know, I, I think Ben Carson has removed himself from consideration, but I know his name had been floated. Someone like that would be an obvious catastrophe um, because he know Ben Carson knows nothing about education reform. But there are a lot of uh, real credible reform-oriented people. Um, where the best case scenario from my perspective, from a reformer's perspective, is that, you know, President Trump, this is just not his area. He's not going to expend a lot of political capital here, but if he appointed a, a good secretary of education and just sort of said, hey, go do your thing um, and, uh, and just don't bother me very much, um, you know, we could still get a lot done. Um, that would be a, a best case scenario. You know, a worst case scenario is some ideologue. Do you have somebody in mind that you think might be not so bad that he could appoint? Um, uh, I have uh, I have heard rumors of Michelle Ree. Um, and uh, I know Michelle. I like Michelle. Uh, and, uh, uh, and she really knows her stuff and is totally passionate about kids. Uh, and so, you know, that would certainly be someone in the latter category uh, that I cited, as, as opposed to the Ben Carson category. Now, of course, of course, she's been she's been vilified by the uh, teachers unions and all that. Um, it's yes, interesting, she has, which is uh, which uh, which I view as a badge of honor for her. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting that uh, Arrow's point of view about all this is that we are not for or against um, charter schools. We're what, what we're for is what's good for students and yeah. what parents and students can choose and uh, the greatest possible uh, variety of choices. Uh, and there, are, in my mind, there are some pretty good charter schools and a lot of pretty bad charter schools. What do you think? Uh, I would tend to agree. Um, I think, you know, to where we might differ is, is when you get down into the weeds and you look at it city by city, state by state, um, you know, I, I am not, I have been on the board of uh, KIPP charter schools here in New York City, not nationally, but here in New York for about 15 years. I, I for a couple of years, was on the uh, national, the board of the National uh, uh, Charter School Association. Um, so, uh, but, you know, so I, I am uh, strongly in favor of high-quality charter schools, but I'm very cognizant of the fact that I think the worst thing about our movement, uh, and we open ourselves up to criticism and it gives us a black eye, is the fact that too many states have crummy charter laws, um, have allowed a lot of bad operators uh, to come in, um, and allow, you know, uh, people like John Oliver, who normally I love, to put together, you know, a 20 or 30 minute piece that makes us all look terrible. Um, because of so, because uh, you know there's sort of rogue operators out there, and in fact, I I spent the better part of two years um, documenting and producing 125 slide presentation, etc. The abuses of K-12, which is the largest online uh, for-profit charter school operator, which is a whole another category of charter schools. 
and they're just they're just terrible actors, terrible actors. Uh, they're and and when it, normally I'm in favor of you know choice and letting parents choose, etc. But I would absolutely ban if I were Secretary of Education nationally or in any state, I would ban these for-profit online charter operators, and and, and, and yes, deny the parents uh, and children in my state that option because this option is proven to be so terrible. Now, Whitney, Whitney, what do you what do you say about the uh, to the people from uh, the uh, the public schools and unions who say that charter schools uh, water uh, take away some of the best students uh, from the public school system? They take away funding and all that. Yeah, I think there's enough truth to it that you know I don't entirely dismiss it. Um, Obviously, charter schools come in. Keep in mind, charter schools are public schools. They're simply public schools that operate outside of the centralized bureaucracy. They, they're either one-off or part of networks like KIPP. Um, and they, uh, in most states, every state's charter laws are a little different. They're just public schools that parents could choose to send their kids just like any other public schools. And in almost all cases, they're not allowed to be selective, to, to have admissions process, only select the best kids, et cetera, et cetera. I'm certainly aware that some charter schools sort of game those rules, and they shouldn't. Uh, we certainly don't do so at KIPP. Um, but even the best operators, like KIPP, you know, there's no question. I understand the kids or a thousand kids in a particular district um, choose to come to KIPP. Their parents choose to send them there because they believe KIPP's going to provide them a better education. If all of the money follows those kids. Um, it, the, the schools that lose those kids uh, suffer financially uh, because some of your costs, your costs aren't entirely variable, of course, right? Uh, so I understand that, um, and I understand why the folks uh, in, in, the, in the others, the, the schools that are losing the kids, uh, don't like that very much. It can cost them jobs, et cetera. Well, why don't, why don't, you, explain, why don't, why don't you explain to people what KIPP is? Uh, KIPP is a national network of, uh, of, of charter schools uh, founded about 25 years ago. It's in roughly 20 states, approximately 20, uh, 200 schools, uh, educating, off the top of my head, 60 or 70,000 students. So if you were to consider KIPP as an entity, it would be a good-sized school district. Um, it, it would be twice the size of Newark or, or twice the size of Washington, D.C., for example, collectively across all of the KIPP schools. So it's really reached some degree of scale, and, it's, and it probably has been the most rigorously studied and independent studied and gold standard studied studies by, you know, Mathematica, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, even Charter's worst critics would sort of begrudgingly say, okay, well, KIPP's probably the best of that bad lot, right? Um, uh, you know, because KIPP, KIPP does it right, and I'm proud to be associated with it. Well, well, you know, I've I've ne- I've never been to a Kip school. I want to come and visit at some point, uh, and but I've seen you know uh, some uh, reports on them and discussion and so on. It seems like there seems to be a lot of kind of repetitive and rote learning, and it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, set up so that there's any kind of democratic process there, which gives the kids a voice. What do you think about that? Um. I would disagree with the general view uh, of sort of rote learning at KIPP. Uh, KIPP is not known for drilling, kill, test prep, et cetera. Some, some charters are. And by the way, lots of public schools like Stuyvesant are as well. Um, and so, so uh, 
so Kip, I mean, we try to make Kip joyful. We try and make school fun. Our competition at Kip is gangs. Uh, is kids dropping out. Um, and in fact, one of the biggest dilemmas we face at KIPP is when we have, uh, when we allocate time, and one of the most important elements of KIPP is, is we start earlier and later every school day. We uh, have half days every other Saturday. We do three weeks in the summer because we're taking kids who are generally one to two years below grade level and trying to catch them up. And there's no substitute for just a lot of hard work, right? Um, yeah. So the question, though, the question we face at KIPP, though, is, 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 you know, we have kids who aren't reading, you know, half our kids aren't reading at grade level, let's say, you know, certainly when we get them, maybe even after a year or two. Well, how much, you know, dr- uh, you know, a hardcore academic uh, work do we do with that extra time we have with kids? But if you do too much of that, the kids burn out, they drop out, our attrition rate goes up, particularly at the high school level. They'll say, you know what, this is no fun. All, all my friends at XYZ High School across the street, um, you know, Kip, Kip used to run only middle schools. It now runs K through 12 um, in, a, in three different schools, an elementary, a middle, and a high school, sort of a, a cluster in each city. You know, by the time you get to high school, we start losing uh, kids if we crank, crank up the academics too much. We lose the kids who we most need to help, right? So, so that's the, that's the dilemma, but I think you'd find, uh, I'd encourage you to come visit Kip schools. They're all different. I've visited almost 70 of them personally all over the country. Mm-hmm. And of course there's a, there's a high, a fairly high degree of variability, but, but it's a consistent, it's high expectations, it's rigor, academic rigor and behavioral rigor. But I would say that Kip has changed a lot in, in from its early days where it used to be super hardcore academics, super hardcore uh, discipline, um, and suspending students and 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 berating students and all, and we don't we don't do that. I won't say we don't do that at all anymore, but we've really moved away from that because we found it doesn't, doesn't work very well. Yeah, that that's been that that's been one of the criticism that I've heard is well Kip winds up getting good statistics because they kick out anybody who is a problem uh, and you, what you're saying is that's not being done so much anymore well I don't think that was ever true that was just a union talking point um, uh, uh, what was true is is that Kip was Kip was super rigorous, um, and and some kids just decided, you know what, I don't want to do the work. Some parents, and we asked a lot of our parents as well, and and again, so we we always have tracked our attrition rate and wanted to make sure right? we bend over backwards to keep kids, uh, as opposed to the, the 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 myth that we're trying to force kids out. Uh, we deliberately locate our schools in the absolute poorest neighborhoods with the highest degree of violence uh, um, in, in every city in which we locate. So the idea that we're somehow out there, you know, creaming the best kids uh, uh, and then any kid who isn't cutting it, we're kicking them out. The truth is the exact opposite. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You know, I knew, I know Joe Nathan who actually started the, Oh, uh, was one of the people who started the first charter school in 1993, and he's still a big believer in charters, but most people feel like his original concept of setting something up that could be outside the red tape and bureaucracy of regular schools has been kind of co-opted by a massive kind of corporate takeovers of some of the charters. What do you think about that? Well, 
I guess you have to distinguish between the K-12 and the for-profit online schools. You know, K-12 is a public company doing a billion dollars of revenue a year. There, that's an absolutely fair criticism. And I think that segment, that corner of the charter school world is an embarrassment should all be shut down, basically, or, or, or forced to shrink by 90%. What happened there was very similar to what happened in the whole for-profit college sector. You know, Corinthian colleges and ESI and all those that, that, that have been shut down, really, are forced into bankruptcy in the past couple of years. I think that should happen to the for-profit charters as well. Um, it's, 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 it was, it was in both cases an idea that should have been, you know, serving a very small niche of students, but then sort of unlimited government money combined with no oversight whatsoever led to the private sector and the corporate sector running amok and harming kids. Right. Right. Well, th- th- this is something I should know about, but I, I is uh, are, are for-profit charters not allowed in New York State? No. Uh, they're not. That's, now, that's what I thought. And, and, and K-12, there's no K-12 in New York State, right, but they right. are in 30-something states. Um, K-12, ironically and deviously, and in my opinion, illegally, uh, gets around the ban on for-profit operators by they set up a sham nonprofit that uh-huh. then contracts with K-12 to provide certain services and all, but it's a complete sham. Huh. Um, if you actually, if you want to, I document this in case after case, if you just go to, uh, I've actually posted my 125 slide presentation documenting all of this and their political influence, their terrible academic scores, et cetera. Um, it's posted at tiltonfunds.com slash k12.pdf, all caps, K1, k12.pdf. Um, and you can, you can download the slide presentation. But, but you asked another question, which is, you know, the corporate takeover of charters, et cetera. That happened in a, in a corner of the charter school world, limited pretty much to the online for-profit charters, right? When most people are talking about charter schools, they're talking about the kits of the world, the, the bricks and mortar schools operating. They look like sort of regular schools and in, you know, largely inner city communities, you know, urban communities around the country. And in that case, um, I would reject the characterization that there's been some sort of corporate takeover. Um, first of all, almost by, by law and by practice, nearly all of them uh, are nonprofit entities. So, okay, well, there's what corporate about that. So then people say, ah, well, Whitney Tilson, he's a hedge fund manager. You know, he's a private sector guy, and he's on the board of KIPP. And, you know, the board of KIPP and the board, the board of directors um, of a lot of these schools have business people on them. Well, gee, that's true of pretty much every charity on the planet. Uh, you know, go, go look around. So, so this idea um, that, that there's somehow, you know, uh, hedge, fund, hedge fund and Wall Street types are out here sort of profiteering uh, at the expense of kids or whatever is, is the biggest pile of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Well, Whitney, I, I have a kind of a two-part question for you now. Uh, one is, uh, what do you think of other kinds of alternatives that are not part of the public schools, such as homeschooling and uh, independent alternative schools, democratic schools, and all that? And the second part of the question is, how do you think that they would fare under a Trump administration? Um, the answer is, is I'll plead some degree of ignorance there. Um, I have never really looked hard at homeschooling in general. Um, I do know the only tangent there is is that some of the online charter schools 
um, are there, they serve people who want to homeschool their kids. And sometimes, you know, it's for religious reasons or, or, or what have you. Sometimes kids are having emotional or health difficulties, et cetera. And there are some legitimate reasons why someone would want to use an online program. Um, uh, so I, I sort of get that. I don't have strong feelings about it. Um, I, I have studied some of the inner city Catholic schools, um, you know, run by various archdioceses in certain cities. Um, and uh, um, and generally have a favorable view of the great work those schools are doing. Um, you know, one of my regrets is, is that the rise of the charter school sector, to the extent, you know, it sucked away some money and resources from the regular public school system. I understand that, though, 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 though let's be clear, there's, uh, you know, in a lot of these urban areas, the funding is actually quite substantial. And even when charters come in, there's still an, uh, there's still been an increase of spending over time. But, but what happens is, is the parents who are really desperate for something better for their kids, who were sacrificing to come up with, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars a year to send their kids to a Catholic school can now get a free, uh, equally good, if not maybe sometimes better education at a KIPP school for free. Um, so the charter, the Catholic schools, sadly, have have uh, have really been hit uh, by the rise of uh, of charter schools. Right. Well, what do you think about uh, independent alternatives and democratic schools like uh, Brooklyn Free School, the Agile Learning Center? Those are both in the New York area where you are. Yeah, um, I don't. I have never visited one. Um, I take it back. I've visited a couple sort of private schools up in Harlem. You know, my main focus has been on. Um, primarily, like KIPP serves basically 99% black and Latino children, 80 to 90% qualify for free and reduced lunch. It's a, it's the demographic um, of kids who are, are in most need of a higher quality alternative, whose test scores are the lowest, whose life outcomes are the most difficult. Um, a lot of these, uh, the independent schools that I've seen, um, a lot of them are sort of, and I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to, like sort of more sort of, I don't know what you call them, Montessori schools or schools with a progressive curriculum, et cetera. Yeah, well, they are part of our, spe- they, they, yeah, Montessori is a part of our spectrum. Basically, a learner-centered schools, uh, you know, mostly, uh, but of course, uh, in terms of Eros, uh uh, members, they are both public and non-public, but they're learner-centered. That's what they have in common. Yeah. But we yeah. have more that are independent rather than part of the public school system. Yeah. Well, let me just throw out a word of caution to your listeners and the uh, folks at those schools. Because look, uh, you know, um, I, I, I live on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, where you know the majority of it's the highest income census tract in the United States. The majority of folks are wealthy enough to send their kids to a whole range of private schools. You know, sadly, in our country, the the people uh, who the the people who in the families whose kids are going to be fine, pretty much no matter what school they go to get all the greatest educational opportunities to enhance their advantages. And of course, in our society, the people, uh, the, the poorest families, et cetera, we stick them in the worst schools so that their kids have no chance to escape the poverty they were born into, right? It's one of the great outrages uh, uh, in our society, great inequalities. I mean, people talk about income inequality and what an outrage that is, and I agree it is. The educational inequalities are so much worse. Um, uh, so. So my caution would be the following. 
which is you different uh, different kids have different needs, of course, generally speaking. But but and it's it's difficult to broadly generalize. But look, I see plenty of college educated, uh, you know, generally white, generally middle class or upper class parents sending their kids to schools that have uh, that don't do any grades. Uh, um, they, you know, I, I think those kids are doing fine, and they're going to do fine in life, right? But let me caution you that if you try and apply that model to kids who come from broken homes where there's no adult in their life who, who has a college degree, um, you know, my parents have ne- my, my children have never interacted with an adult who doesn't have a college degree, right? So let's take the opposite of that, right? And you have kids who um, when, when national, the, the national uh, tests show that by fourth grade, half of black and Latino children in this country are below basic readers. They are struggling readers by age 10. Um, you need to have an incredibly focused, not just at age 10, but starting in pre-K, ideally, I'm, I'm all in favor of expanding pre-K, especially to poor kids, right? But certainly starting in kindergarten, um, you need to have an incredibly focused, rigorous program to make sure um, that the parents are reading the children half an hour every night because while that took place in my household, just like breathing, it doesn't take place in the households of the children uh, at KIPP schools by and large um, unless KIPP focuses on it, right? So so, so I, you know where I'm going with this, right, uh, where – and, and so I'm not saying that you create drill-and-kill schools that are joyless places or anything like that. What I am saying, though, is, is that the poor and minority kids who, aren't, who, aren't, who, aren't, who, who, who come from houses that are not filled with books and are not read to as children and all, the schools have so much more to do to make up for that that you, you've got to be super focused and disciplined. Um, about tracking kids literally week to week, month to month, to make sure they're mastering every single element and that they know how to read by the end of kindergarten or first grade. Because right now, millions and millions of children aren't even learning to read by age 10. Well, you know, Whitney, as I said, I think your point is well taken. And I think I do want to take you up on uh, the, the, the possibility of visiting a KIPP school. But I also think that you may need to visit some of our schools. For example, Brooklyn Free School has a majority of minority kids. Uh, and there are other inner city uh, alternatives such as Albany Free School that have a lot of kids from the kind of background that you're talking about. And they do fine. So I think that this is something we both need to learn a few things <laughs> about these yeah, different yeah. approaches. And I'd love to. I'd, I'd love. I'd, I'd actually love to take you up on your offer to that. And I'd want to. I'd want to uh, see data around what doing fine means because my, because I can tell you if we did not, if we were not super rigorous, and if we were not doing. Uh, I mean, let's talk. I don't know if we have time. If your podcast is running out of time here, but this whole issue of testing, right, is a huge hot button issue. And I agree with some of this, you know, some of the criticism of sort of high stakes testing and converting schools into drill and kill test factories, et cetera. But we at KIPP, forget the high stakes testing stuff that's reported in the newspapers and gets all politicized. You know, we at KIPP, you go visit um, a, a KIPP kindergarten um, and you will find every week, every Friday, um, the teacher sitting down with a kid and going through 20 words and pointing to the words and the kid has to pronounce the words, right? Um, or the letters, 
And that's a test. Like, that's a test developed by the teachers. Um, and it's given individually to each child, so it's not high stakes. Nobody's salary is tied to it. Nobody gets fired if the kids uh, fail the test or anything. But it's a test, and it's absolutely necessary for us to test our kids constantly because otherwise we don't know if they, they are learning to read and taking the steps they take, right? So, so it, it, we, don't, we don't do that for fun. We do that because it's necessary because if we don't, so I would, I haven't looked at the statistics. My concern would be at the schools you're talking about, I forget the, the name, the free schools or whatever, um, everybody's, they, the, the danger that I've seen is, is that you get happy schools. And happy schools are where the principal is happy, the teachers are happy, the children are happy, the parents are happy. The only problem is the kids are age 10 and can't read. Well, of course, what, you, what, you're, saying, what you're saying is very interesting, however not true, uh, that any testing that has been done, and there have been some, but you're right, it's not has been that rigorous, has shown that the kids uh, from this kind of approach uh, actually yeah. uh, do, do very well. Now, I, I was the director of a, of a, of a nonprofit uh, school, mostly low-income, independent democratic school, mostly low-income welfare kids, and they improved uh, We tested just to see how they were doing, but not used for any kind of you know, high stakes thing, just to see how the school yeah. was doing. And they improved about two and a half times the national rate. This is kind of based on the concept that children are natural learners, that the brain is naturally aggressive. This is shown by modern brain research. And so, in fact, that ability gets eroded the more you force kids to learn things they're not interested in. So so yeah. that yeah. is, I think, one of the concepts. It, it, it. If, if that's true, and again, I plead ignorance because I have not visited these schools, nor have I looked at their scores, um, but I would hold your schools to the same standard I hold my schools, if you call my schools like charter schools, not quality charter schools, like at KIPP. You know, we have schools that look great, but if their test scores stink, we, we do not kid ourselves that, oh, those test scores don't capture the whole child, you know, uh, you know, our children, our parents are happy. Our children are happy. So, you know, we're going to ignore those test scores. Uh, we don't do that. We don't play that game. Uh, and, and I think a lot of folks in the education world, and it's not just at your schools and my schools, it's in all public schools. Um, you know, I think educators um, give themselves a pass. Uh, it's, it's just too easy to fail to educate children, to blame the fact that they're homeless or their parents aren't reading to them or point fingers elsewhere and not take responsibility. I think it's a national scandal. I think it's a crime that half of black and Latino children in this country can't read by age 10. I've looked at this worldwide. In fact, one of the most interesting places I've seen is the Butterflies uh, Project in Delhi, India, which is an amazing democratic program for homeless working children. <laughs> they have no families. And they are very, very enthusiastic about about learning there. And so, uh, you know, I've seen this in a kind of a wide area. We, we, I could, I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I think we need to do this again sometime. And I appreciate, uh, you know, what you've had to say, and I think both of us need to follow up and visit some places. <laughs> All right, sounds good. It was my pleasure. Okay, thanks a lot for being on, Whitney. And uh, if you have any anything you want to send to me, to email to me, uh, that we can put on uh, to show people how they can reach or find out about KIPP schools in particular, please do so. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Education Revolution podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can send them to info at educationrevolution.org or you can call the Arrow office at 516-621-2195.